As I mentioned in the announcements, we are in the uh, middle of a Meals with Jesus sermon series, sitting with Jesus as he sits with people all different kinds in the Gospel of Luke. I think we learn a lot from Jesus in this space. Uh, there are so many meals, uh, especially again in that, that Gospel. And I love in this particular story even how Jesus will take something as, as simple as a container that holds wine and makes clear just how revolutionary, how discomforting, how beautiful his way is. Here now, the word of our Lord from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5, verses 33 through 39. Then they said to him, John's disciples, like the disciples of the Pharisees, frequently fast and pray. But your disciples eat and drink. Jesus said to them, you cannot make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them, can you? The days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. He also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and sews it on an old garment. Otherwise, the new will be torn, and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst with the skins and will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, desires new wine, but says, the old is good. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. My brother in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, is a film editor. And his next-door neighbor is part of this cycling group in that city that gets up multiple mornings a week, and they go and they ride together. They've been doing this for a decade now, and slowly but surely they've grown as word has gotten out. And my neighbor learns that my brother's a film editor, and so knocks on his door one day and says, do you think you could make a documentary about our group? Michael, my brother, agrees. He begins showing up to these cycling groups at 5 a.m. in the morning to film them, to interview them. A few months ago, Michael sends me a rough draft of his documentary. The participants are talking about riding together, but also the fact, you know, many mornings, they honestly, they don't want to go. But they know their, their, their newfound colleagues and friends are all going to be there, and so, okay, we'll get there, and they get there, and they do their thing, and, and these, these cycling group time has turned into breakfast with one another, and dinner's out with the group, dinner's out with one another's families, uh, coaching one another's children in local sports league, uh, celebrating one another's birthdays, annual dinners, annual uh, awards they've come up with at a, at a banquet they've made for the little group, and it, one of the more pro- poignant parts of the documentary is when one of the co-founders uh, had cancer a few years ago and, and, and made it through, but they told that story of walking with him, of shifting in and out with the, with the biological family to, to stay nights at the hospital. And how the cycling group, they, they did all these meals, and, and they, they, they walked with this guy in his physical therapy. They were just part of the rotation through the house to, to help work that for months. They rode in honor of him and fundraised for the significant medical expenses. And you know what struck me about this documentary as I'm listening to these cyclists, about these cyclists in Winston-Salem and hearing them tell their story with, with laughter and with tears and gratitude and all the rest? Now, this isn't a cycling documentary. This is a documentary about human community, of living life together 
for one another, with one another, in the good, bad, and the ugly. And then you know what my next thought was. They talk about that group a lot like people who love church talk about the church. That cycling group is their church. Which then led to this thought. Why isn't the church their church? Why not the the church as the space in which the, the joy and the tears and, and the family and the connection, the support aren't, aren't all known. Why not the church as their church? The religious leaders said to Jesus, John's disciples, like the disciples of the Pharisees, they frequently fast and pray. Your disciples eat and drink. John's folks, they do religion like you're supposed to, fasting and praying. Jesus, your people are doing things outside the confines of how this goes. Your people act like it's all a big party. Now, to be sure, Jesus is not against fasting or praying. He does both of them in his ministry. He teaches about both of them in his ministry. The issue seems to be that whatever Jesus and his followers are up to, it's somehow not fitting with the current expectations of how you live a faithful life and what it looks like. We are here at 11 a.m., properly dressed, attentive, prayerful, faithful in the room, faithful over live stream, and you all are out riding bikes? Why isn't the church there, church? Do you think life is a joy ride? Every Martin Luther King Jr. day, I have a tradition of reading through his letter from a Birmingham jail. If you've read it, if you've not read it, either way, I heartily commend it again to you. Uh, King, you may recall, is in jail for protesting the treatment of black people in Birmingham. And, and while there, he decides to respond to some of his critics, many of whom in this particular instance are um, white Protestant pastors in mainline congregations. And in particular, he's responding to uh, them as they continue to say to him, slow down. Wait, stop with the sit-ins and the marches. Let's talk it out. Let's pray it out. Let's let the court systems we have in place work out the justice in, in time. Which is to say, there is a proper, even faithful way to do this, King. There's a structure. There's a system. There's a way people of faith do this. Honor that. And, and, and you may know some of what I think are the more haunting words from that letter uh, go like this. I must make two honest confessions to you, my Christian and Jewish brothers. First, I must confess that over the past few years, I have been gravely disappointed with the white moderate. I've almost reached the regrettable conclusion that the Negro's great stumbling block in his stride toward freedom is not the white citizen's counselor or the Ku Klux Klanner, but the white moderate who is more devoted to order than to justice who prefers a negative peace, which is the absence of tension, to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice, who constantly says, I agree with you in the goal you seek, but I cannot agree in your methods of direct action, who paternalistically believes he can set the timetable for another man's freedom, who lives by a mythical concept of time and who constantly advises the Negro to wait for a more convenient season. Why wasn't the way of 
the white moderate mainline church for king and his followers. Well, why does faithfulness among them not look like faithfulness over here? Why are not the, the faithful ways of slow down, pray, trust the process, the way heated? And whether it's Jesus' disciples eating and drinking, or deeply connected cycling groups in Winston-Salem, or those sitting in or marching out, the singular response, I think, is tucked in that sentence from Jesus, no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Jesus is the new wine. A, a, a wine of radical love that, 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 that brings that love to all the wrong people. A wine of uncompromising justice that overturns the temple tables of ordered injustice. A wine that reconciles people to God and with one another across every sin, every evil, every disagreement, every difference. Jesus is a river of new wine. And if you have new wine flowing, you can't put it into old wineskin, an old container, an old structure. If you do, Jesus is clear, the new wine is just going to burst the old container. Why isn't the church their church? Is it ever possible that even the most sacred and cherished of containers, proper expressions of Judaism, like fasting and praying. Proper ways of gathering and doing church in, in buildings with committees and, and, and patient timelines and all the rest. Is it, is it ever possible that sometimes the new wine is simply too fulsome, too joyful, too loving, too just to be held in just those? And so is it ever possible that the river of, of new wine just starts pouring forth over meals happening outside of the church or, or, or new cycling groups or, or on the streets or because the new wine needs a bigger container or a new container. I recently read an article by Dwight Shiley. He's a notable leader within the Lutheran Church, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. Uh, he published this article in 2018, and he, and he said uh, he thinks that uh, the ELCA will no longer be a denominational structure within about 30 years' time. He said that in 2018, he believes the pandemic's only accelerated their timeline. It's not, he would be quick to say, that Christianity is going away, but that its dominant institutional form in the United States, denominationalism, is a container too often too brittle for new wine. In this article, he cites uh, Candler theological professor uh, Ted Smith, that's at Emory University, uh, about some key sociological dynamics that are at play in all of this, and just Bear with me for a moment. I'm going to provide some sociological trends that, that I do think are, are worthy of our consideration. Uh, Smith observes that for 200 years plus, we've been, we've been living in what, what you might call the age of association. That age started in the late 1700s, early 1800s, as the church moved from something that was a state-sponsored institute in this country, uh, supported by taxation, right, 
and instead became something of a voluntary organization with formal membership and, and donations supporting the effort. The church then kind of operated not unlike a host of other voluntary organizations that sprung up across our land in the age of association. Masons, Elks, Rotary Club, Garden Club, Girl Scouts, Boy Scouts, Labor Unions. But then since the 1960s, Smith observes, the age of association has been, quote, unraveling. And a new age is becoming more and more apparent. He calls it the age of authenticity, which has a strong focus on discovering and expressing one's true self. And which also brings with it a suspicion of institutes. Or put another way, a suspicion of traditional containers. Or at very least, much less sense of an obligation toward those containers. In light of all this, Smith has, uh, has observed, Shiley, this ELCA um, leader, has this bottom line for the church. People feel less and less of a need to affiliate with an organization, to find meaning, community, and purpose. That is understood instead in this age of authenticity to be a highly personalized journey. Now, to be sure, Shiley is not saying that the age of authenticity is the new wine, and that the age of association that seems to be fading is just that bad old stuff. No, he says both honestly have distinct advantages and, and disadvantages. His point is, like it or not, good, bad, indifferent, the age of authenticity is here and here in a prominent way. And so when it comes to the church, here's what he has to say. What does this mean for the church and its leaders to the extent to which leaders' energy is focused on trying to sustain and grow the age of association model of a congregation or denomination? Returns on the investment will be limited. At this point, patching up an old wineskin isn't where it's at for the most part. And yet he was quick to, to add, the church has never had more critical work to do in this country. Because he goes on to note that in an age of authenticity where everyone's expected to find meaning and purpose and community on their own, there is an exceptional degree then of isolation and anxiety and guilt and shame. And that's without a pandemic. In other words, there is an acute hunger in our day to, to belong, to be, to be known and loved and seen as part of the whole. And so people will. They will join cycling groups and even show up at 5 a.m. And then they want to go and evangelize about that through documentaries because they've experienced the miracle of this synergy and this connectedness and this support and this strength. And they just need others to know about how good this thing is. Or they'll join sit-ins and marches when the old ways can't provide a place at the table for everyone. When the old ways can't contain the justice that's rolling down like new wine. In fact, we look around and we see a distinct rise in all kinds of these little groups and movements that reside outside of the, the traditional voluntary organizations of our past 200 years. What we're seeing underneath all of that are, are these, these imperfect but very real expressions of hearts longing for reconciliation and belonging and justice, which is to say, the very heart of Jesus's ministry.
And so Shiley ultimately invites this thought, which I preface makes me uncomfortable to read, but I decided that's why it probably needs to be read. Imagine if your work as a church leader was simply to join where life is being lived in today's world. Cycling groups, marches, other groups. Where life is being lived in today's world. Form relationships, listen to their longings and losses, cultivate community, and draw deeply on the rich traditions of of Christian theology and practice to help them make spiritual meaning. Imagine if this was the primary work of ministry, not administering and staffing programs, managing a nonprofit, securing volunteers, running annual fundraiser campaigns, worrying about decaying buildings. Consider how much energy is being spent on maintaining age of association institutions where the primary focus ends up being on the institution itself and not its spiritual purpose. I find his words deeply uncomfortable because he's saying that maybe the forms we know and love, uh, almost inadvertently, we don't mean it, but too often end up focusing us on just keeping the thing, the structure alive itself. And maybe the cycling groups don't find church at church because the new wine is filling in other containers. He's even suggesting that for the church to get in on the new wine party, get in on where it's flowing, it's less about fixing the container and more about risking being present in new containers at their tables, in their cycling group, their helping hands endeavor, their marches, their homes, their monthly book club, their parents meeting. What surprising containers come to your heart this moment? To be sure, it's not simply the end of the church as we know it. Any space in the church that has expansive wineskin to hold space for reconciliation and, 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 and belonging, any space that meets that fundamental ache of our time, that's, that's new wineskin space. That's new wine, Jesus flowing there, space, absolutely. I'm simply observing that we need to take seriously the significant shifts that have been going on in our society and have been accelerated by the pandemic. And rather than grow fearful and worry if we can fix the container, if we can organize the container better, if we can get more people into the container, what if, what if we simply risk this prayer to the host of the party? Jesus, I want to be one who eats and drinks alongside your disciples. Show me where the new wine is flowing. Where the ache for reconciliation and belonging and justice is being nourished by your love. Oh, even if the container looks so different from what I've known, show me that. I don't, we don't want to miss out on the party. It's a scary prayer. Fair warning. Precisely 11 verses after this passage from Luke 5, we read this. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. Joining the flow of new wine, wherever it's unfolding, among whomever it's unfolding, in whatever containers it's unfolding, 
It is a joy supreme. And let's not be naive. Among those tied closely to the old wineskin's feathers will be ruffled. King was assassinated. Jesus crucified. But thanks be to God, even the container of death would not hold our Savior. And so we go forth toward the party, knowing truly that in life and in death, the way of new wine shall prevail. Amen.